while you're getting your Bible, if you already have it, let's turn to Malachi chapter 2, 10 through 16. Malachi chapter 2, 10 through 16. We've been in Malachi for a few weeks now, and we are on the third disputation of six. The pattern of the disputations is where the Lord confronts his people on an issue. And like rebellious children, they challenge him. And then he further elaborates on the wrongdoing. And today's disputation centers around their unfaithfulness in marriage. Specifically, there's two issues we're going to address today. Marrying unbelievers and divorce based on aversion. You find it? Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Let's stand together and I'll read. Starting at verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with the portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who hates and divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment With violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You may be seated. I became a Christian. When I was 19, I know many of you are around that age. I became a Christian at 19. I was a counselor at a sports camp. I played tennis while I was in college and got hired on at a sports camp called Canacook in Missouri outside of Branson. And that's where I became a Christian after my freshman year. It was over the summer. Before then, my life was pretty much steeped in immorality, big time. My relationships with Women were very, very improper. Heard the gospel, Jesus Christ, conviction of sin. I repented and put my faith in Christ. And that happened around June, July 
of that summer. I had some, some two more months to go over the summer, and I had to learn what it meant that Jesus Christ was now Lord of my life. And since when you become a Christian, what happens? You make Jesus Lord. You're, he's Lord. And so not only was he Lord of my life, but he had to start to be Lord over me reformulating my view of relationships. So for the rest of the summer, I was trying to pick up on anything on how Christian relationships between a man and a woman were supposed to work. And one day at this camp, a Christian artist named Wes King came to do a concert. Anybody ever heard of him, Wes King? Yeah, some of you? Well, Wes King comes in. I don't know this guy. I'm not raised in the Christian culture. I don't know nothing. He's coming in, and he's going to perform a concert. And so I'm really kind of sort of not paying attention. And so I remember at this concert... uh, there was before one song he got my attention he said i'm about to sing a song about relationships and i thought i need to know something about relationships i'm now going to listen and so he started to sing this song about how he and this girl have just totally fallen in love he loves her so much and she loves him and i'm going this is a great song about love i'm totally familiar with this this is the way it works in the world men and women they fall in love okay i'm totally great song about love but then the chorus totally threw me off i'm, I'm going to read the chorus to you i'm not going to sing it here's the chorus there's another man in her life another's love stronger than mine there's another love in her life so complete, so benign. There is another man in her life. And I'm thinking, that is such a bummer. You know? (laughs) I mean, they they were in love. He finally found this one, and some other guy comes along and steals his woman. I'm thinking, this song is terrible. It's terrible. And and it gets kind of worse, and he sings this. He says, he's all she talks about. Her love for him is so devout. And when she hears his name, her eyes reflect his light. And I I really was clueless during the song, but it finally dawned on me, as it has dawned on you, that the other man was Jesus. It's Jesus. And he closes the song by saying, Now there's another love in our lives, so complete, so divine. There's another love in our lives, stronger than hers, stronger than mine. There's another man in our lives, so complete, so divine. Well, as you guessed it, today we are going to talk about relationships between men and women. But as we talk about relationships between men and women, it's not like we have a man here and a woman over here, and God's like somewhere hanging out over here. Now, we're going to talk about a relationship between a man and a woman where God is enthroned at the center of that relationship because that is totally what Israel missed. They thought you could just have a relationship between a man and a woman and God. He can just, wherever he's at, he could just be somewhere else. It's as if he does not even exist. But if you're a believer, it does not work like that. If you're a believer, a relationship between a man and a woman is very closely tied and connected with their relationship with the Lord. 
And so as we talk about relationships between men and women, we have to start at the right place with God. And that's exactly where the text starts. It's where God starts with himself. Let's track through the verses together. Let's start in verse 10 talking about God. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Boom, boom, boom. Three questions come up right here. And these are three questions that are supposed to bring to mind Israel's relationship with God and their relationship with each other. God is entered into a covenant with his people. He is now their one father. He is their one God. He is their one creator. And he has united them together. And if he has united them together like this, the question is, why are they profaning the covenant? Why are they spitting in the face of God? Why are they acting like their relationship with God does not matter by the way they treat one another? And now Malachi is going to get into some specifics. And the two specific issues he's going to bring up are the issue of marriage to unbelievers and divorce. And let me just go ahead and stop before we go any further. Because Malachi is going off. He he is. He is. He's going off. Something bad is happening. People are marrying unbelievers, and people are getting divorced based upon aversion. And when I enter in this context, and I want to bring the same force that Malachi has as a prophet, I, I'm, my, my heart is, is, is with you because I want to bring it forcefully, and yet I realize that, that some of you may already be married to an unbeliever or you've gone through a hard trial of divorce, and texts like this just bring up a lot of pain and a lot of, a lot of just stuff in your lives. So I just want you to know God's grace is great. His love is unbelievable. Whatever you've done, whatever you've been through, there's an issue of, of saying, okay, today is today. I'm going to move forward with the Lord. I'll own what I need to own, repent of what I need to repent of. But God's grace is free through the gospel. So understand when I'm preaching this today forcefully, do not receive it in a condemnation way. The grace is great. Love is great. There is repentance from past mistakes, from past pains, from past hurts. So as we move forward, and it seems very forceful, let's not forget the gospel of grace, okay? Deal? Deal. Here we go. Verse 11. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. So from the common folk all the way up to the preachers, they are marrying unbelievers. They are marrying daughters of a foreign god. Not a good idea. It's a big deal. It is a very big deal. And it's a big deal because marriage is not just supposed to be between a husband and a wife with God hanging out doing something else. No, 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 like I said before. Marriage is between a husband and wife with God at the center, enthroned at the center where the husband and wife are, are entering into a covenant, and as they join into this covenant, they are to do all things for the glory of God. But when you have a believer marrying an unbeliever, something's off there. It's called a profaning of the covenant. New Testament could say some similar things that could apply. 
Let me read to you this Corinthians verse, 2 Corinthians. It's in chapter 6, 14 through 16. I'll put it up for you. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do we have that? All right. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? So just, just so you wouldn't blend, you know, God with idols, should there be no blending in marriage of a believer with an unbeliever? Once again, I'm going to stop because I know there's unbelievers in here. And you're like going, well, that's not very nice. And like I said, we're not trying to be mean to you. We're not trying to come across harsh because God has made provision for you to know him. Through Jesus, he has made a way for you to know him. He does not want you separated from him forever. He's made provision for you to know him through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus where you can repent and come to know him. So don't think this coming across hard like, oh, God wants his people totally separated from me forever. No, he's made provision for you to know him. But this is a pretty serious requirement for marriage on who God wants you to marry. And so if you are a Christian who says that Jesus is Lord of my life, then He is Lord of your marriage partner. He is Lord of what you choose in your marriage. So look what he says in verse 12. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. So what's happening is that the men are going through the motions of worship, which we talked about last week. They come to the temple and they would present these offerings to the Lord, but their hearts have wandered off and they have married pagan women. They've married women whose Lord is not Yahweh. And God says, these men will have no future. Because if he thinks that he can go through the motions of worshiping the Lord while the marriage relationship is inconsequential, then he is very much wrong. And for those of you who are here this morning who read texts like this and you go, it's too late for me, I've already married the unbeliever, what should I do? If you've already married the unbeliever, what should you do? Well, for one, you shouldn't leave the relationship. You should stay in the marriage. And you should pray for the salvation of your spouse. There are stories of a a believer married to an unbeliever where the believer pleads on a daily basis for the salvation of their husband or wife and their husband or wife convert. It does happen. I've seen it. Maybe you've seen it. But for those of you who are single, do not get any ideas of missionary dating. I know a lot of mission hearts out there. A guy in your class at school, you're like, I have a really missions heart to go on a date with that unbeliever over there to see her converted. No. Don't get any ideas of missionary dating because, yeah, God may use you to get them saved, but he's not called you to that kind of relationship. It's very clear. If you are single, if you're single in here, not married, here's your your role. All out pursuit of Christ. Just go all out and pursue Jesus. And you never have to get married. And it's okay. Okay. In fact, the Apostle Paul may even indicate that it's, it's better that you don't get married. It's okay. All out pursuit of Christ. But if you want to get married and you want to pursue a relationship, 
It's got to be with a believer with, who, who also is doing this all-out pursuit of Christ. You, you don't want to marry someone, and you don't want to date someone who just tolerates Jesus. You want to date someone who worships Jesus. And if you go on a date with someone, and you, when it's done, you're thinking to yourself, do they tolerate Jesus or do they worship Jesus? Don't ever go out with them again. It should be obvious. You want to enter in a relationship where two people are worshiping Jesus. Not where two people are just tolerating putting up. That's just ridiculous. Believer, all-out worship of Jesus, marry another believer. And in that relationship, dating relationship, they are to keep Jesus front and center enthroned in their relationship. So get this. If that relationship ever breaks up, their dating relationship ever goes kind of like, oh, we're just not compatible. It's not going to work. We shouldn't pursue marriage. And so they break up or they're engaged and they're like, oh, no, we learned some things. We, we don't want to get married. And they break up. That person should be better off than when you first started dating them. I heard someone ask the question this week. This professor, he was asking the question, did you leave them better off? What if you made that your goal in your dating relationship? That if this ever goes wrong... They're going to be better off because I pointed them to Christ. Christ was at the center of our relationship. He's enthroned there. Now Malachi moves on from this issue of being married to unbelievers. He says, don't do it. Moves on to the issue of divorce. This is not divorce based upon adultery. This is not divorce based upon the desertion of an unbeliever. This is divorce based upon aversion. And what we're going to find is this concept of no-fault divorce will not fly with God. Will not fly with God. He will not tolerate this concept of no-fault divorce. Look at verse 13. And this second thing you do, here's the second thing, it's the divorce. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Now, when I was memorizing this and thinking through this, I thought it was the worshipers who, the men, were somehow crying at the altar because God wouldn't accept their offering. And that may be the case. But as I was studying some different people this week, uh, these, some of these scholars were indicating these aren't the tears of the men. These are the tears of the divorced women. Have you ever gone through a divorce? It's very painful. And these are the women who are crying because their husbands have left them and their tears are just flooding the altar. And so when the men come in, they want to do their worship, they want to present their gift to the Lord. God's like, I don't even see you. I don't even hear you. I'm not going to accept your offering because I, all I see is the tears of the women you've divorced. And you think, well, that's, that's a nice little Old Testament concept. But my brothers, can I speak to my brothers in here? This is very much a New Testament concept as well. Let me share a scripture with you. Maybe you've never seen before. This is very powerful. Let me put it up. 1 Peter 3.7. Maybe you've seen this. All the men in here really should memorize this. Likewise, husbands, 
Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Can you believe that? Is it possible, guys, that God's not hearing your prayers because of the way you treat your wife? And you would say, oh, why does it matter? She's right here. God's up there. Why does he care? Oh, it's all connected, remember? Relationship, relationship. It's connected. So it's possible that God's not hearing your prayers, receiving your worship, because of the way you treat your wife. It's connected. You cannot pursue a relationship with the Lord without pursuing a right relationship with your wife. You cannot walk with the Lord while walking all over your wife. There's a connection. We're talking about all of life worship here. What you're doing here on Sunday morning is connected to the way you're going to act this afternoon and this week toward your spouse. It's connected. God sees. It's all connected. No hypocrisy here. Verse 14. But you say... Why does he not? Well, like, why doesn't he accept my prayers, my worship? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. I love the idea that the Lord is a witness. You know, when they got married in their youthful days, the Lord at the wedding ceremony or anywhere in wedding ceremony, he is a witness to this covenant between a man and a woman. But now he is witnessing the faithlessness of these men and they have been faithless you see that word there to their companion i love that the wife is called companion guys it's okay to marry a girl who's like your best friend that's good like you want to be close like that you want to be united together and become one and like just be like best friends, you share everything together. And apparently the husband and wife in this context, they got married in their youth when they were young. They shared life together. They shared the good times and they shared the hard times. But now all of a sudden, a better deal has come along. There's a better deal. This was nice back in my youthful days, but now my woman's growing older. She's not looking so good. We're having some issues. I see a better deal over there. And he wants to move on. And you think, well, why would he do that? Why would a guy divorce his wife, who's like his best friend, and move on to another woman? Some of the top two reasons back then are like the top two reasons today why people get divorced. Dear Malachi's time is the same reasons today. Some of the top two reasons people get divorced are money and sex. Straight up, money, sex, that's the way it works. And you think about, in our culture, women are portrayed uh, in the movies and, and in uh, TV that they go and they get divorced because they're following the money, right? Well, during this time, it's the men who are following the money. You see, Israel, when Babylon came in, they decimated their land. This is like many years prior, because Israel tried to, tried to fight it out. They tried to hold off the Babylonians, and the Babylonians just crushed them. But some of their pagan neighbors submitted quickly to Babylon. They were not decimated. So when the people were able to come back to their lands under the Persian Empire, Israel was still decimated while their pagan neighbors were flourishing. And so they're poor. And so what the Israelite man does, he leaves 
an Israelite wife of his youth, and he goes and marries a pagan woman for money because the in-laws are going to give him the jobs. The in-laws are going to give him the business. He will flourish financially. So his divorce is based upon money. But the men also were divorcing their wives at this time because of sex. Because when you marry a pagan woman, women in that culture, a pagan culture, could be treated as sex objects. You can do whatever you want with them and don't have to worry about the relationship. But not in the Israelite culture. You were to respect a woman. They were not to be treated as sex objects. It's not like you just take sex and you isolate it over here into its own little uh, compartment. No, no. It's all of life. You treat the woman with respect in all of life. You engage in a relationship 24 hours a day. And so the men here in Malachi's time were like, why bother? Why bother? The pagan women are so much easier. Let's just go over there. Let's deal with all this relationship stuff. And so they're breaking their covenant that they've made for this wife of their youth. They're, they're profaning the covenant with the Lord, and they're running after pagan women. Look what God says in verse 15. Malachi indicates, did he not make them one? With a portion of the Spirit, with a portion of the Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Within the original Hebrew, for those of you who are reading your Hebrew Bibles right now, this verse right here is very, very difficult to piece together. And so I'm just going to give you the, the basic gist of it. Here it is. God has brought a husband and wife together, and he was witness to their union, and God was part of their union. Perhaps that's why it says, look at verse 15 again, it says, with a portion, see that there? With a portion of the Spirit in their union. So somehow God is part of this union. And the purpose for this marriage, you see it says, and what was the one God seeking? Look what it says. Godly offspring. So one of the purposes of marriage was to raise children that would bring glory to God. So God's intent was to create a people that would glorify him and part of that was through having marriages that would glorify him, raising families that would glorify him, turns into a nation that glorifies him. And that's why divorce is so tragic, because it ruins the marriage that won't glorify him. The family has a hard time glorifying him, and it messes up the nation. You see the connection? He's creating a people. Like many of you in here, I am a child of divorced parents. I don't want to see a show of hands. It's going to be too depressing. I know a lot of you are children of divorced parents. I, I get that. And no matter how much I try to shake that, and no matter how much you try to shake that, we both know there are still some lingering effects in our lives from that divorce. In ways that we can't always explain, there's stuff still there. For those of you who are single, it may make you a little scared of marriage. I remember when I was considering marriage, I was freaking out. I was scared to death. I was like, I don't want to get married because I'm going to get divorced. And, and I was just scared. So maybe you're scared. And for those of you who are married and, and you, your parents are divorced, 
it, sometimes it just makes you have to go through seasons of doubt in your own marriage. It's just like, oh, you're thinking about what your parents did, and you're like, oh, I'm, a, I'm about their age now when they got divorced, and, and it creates these seasons of doubt. And, and so what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Well, I think what we're supposed to do is believe that by God's grace, we're not destined to follow the same pattern. And I think, by God's grace, we can step out, we can step out with Jesus at the center and take the risk. I know some of you are probably still single because you're scared of death, a divorce, and you do not want to risk pursuing a relationship. I get that. But you don't have to live that way. You can step out, take the risk, pursue a relationship with Christ at the center, pursue marriage in a godly way, and get married. And while you're at it, have some godly offspring. Go ahead. Have some godly offspring. Raise them in the Lord. And you may say, well, I don't know how to raise them in the Lord. Guess what? I don't either. I don't have established patterns that I'm following. It's not like my grandparents are walking with Jesus and they set this standard and my parents are walking. They set this. I don't have that at all. It just shows up with me and I'm like, what do I do? And a lot of us are in the same boat. We're trying to figure this out together. Yeah, let's try to raise our children in the Lord as best as we can. Not perfectly, but raise them in the Lord. But watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Look at the command there. At the very end, he says, guard yourselves in your spirit. So the idea is setting up this internal guard to keep your mind and heart in check. It's not like these men are just married to their wives or their youth or their companions who are their best friends. And one day they decide, you know what? I really want a younger pagan woman for a wife. I'm going to divorce you and go and, and get her. That doesn't just happen overnight. That stuff builds up over time. Those thoughts build up over time. The heart goes there over time. And that's why you must guard yourself in your spirit. You need to keep your fantasies in check. You need to keep your daydreams in check because if you're not careful, your heart and mind will start thinking about, I wonder what it would be like to be married to her. I wonder what it would be like to be married to him. It seems like it would be much more better than what I've got. That's why you've got to guard yourself in in your spirit. And it's not just talking about not looking at other women, women with lustful intent because you can be a man in here and you can be all proud how you don't look at porn like the rest of your friends. Or you can be proud that you're not lusting after the other women like the rest of your friends. But your heart can still be coveting. You can be coveting another person. You've got to guard yourself and your spirit. I was part of a men's Bible study at my last church in Santa Monica, California, and I remember one night specifically, the guys, we were all sitting around, and we were all, you know, bemoaning the fact of how hard our marriages were. You ever do that, guys? Like, that marriage is so hard. My wife, it's always her fault. It's never your fault. It's always hers. And so that we were kind of in one of those ruts where we were all doing this, our wives' fault. And this one guy, good friend of mine, I can't believe he said this. He should not have said this. He said, do you ever notice that when you look at people who have gotten divorced and remarried, they just seem so much happier? 
See, he's trying to take us down that road of just imagine what it would be like. We're sitting here complaining. We can get out of this and move on and be happy. Don't go there. Don't go there. Guard yourself and your spirit. Guard yourself and your spirit. Verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Well, what does that mean? The man who divorces his wife covers his garment with violence. See, part of this marriage relationship breakdown, we don't talk about it much in the church, but it could involve domestic violence. Maybe that's what that means here. You know, not only is he seeking a divorce, but along the way he's being violent toward her. And I just want to say, because we don't talk about this much, but if any of this domestic violence stuff is going on within the house, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm just going to say, if any of that's going on, come talk to us as elders, please. Women, don't let this silent thing continue anywhere. Come talk to me today. Talk to one of the elders. Let, let's, let's, let's talk about this, if that's what's going on. Because a lot of times it just goes on, we don't know anything about it. And then it comes out later. Let, let's talk about it now, if it's there. Even in relationships, uh, dating relationships, if something violent's going on, we want to know about it. You don't have to suffer silently. We're going we're gonna to interject ourselves there, okay? Just want to give you the heads up there. Just, just let, let us know. Maybe that's what that means. Some things, the violence here refers more to the character, which shows up like someone's clothes. And so when you put away a wife through divorce, being unfaithful to her, uh, it could be viewed as an act of violence. You ever thought about reviewing divorce that way? An act of violence. Someone has said, his violence through divorce is equivalent to wearing a bloody butcher's apron. That's how serious God views this sin. And that's why he says it again. He's very adamant here at the end. Guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Because faithfulness in marriage demonstrates a faithlessness toward God. There is a connection. And I would say in the New Testament that this connection is even heightened even more. Because did you know within your own marriage, this is the way it's supposed to be viewed, those of you who are heading towards marriage, those of you who are in marriage, do you know the husband represents Christ? And the wife represents the church. And the husband is supposed to be this gracious leader who loves his wife sacrificially. How sacrificially? Well, why don't you die for her? That's how sacrificial you should be towards your wife. And, and the wife? The wife should humbly submit to him as the leader. And I know some women in here, you have issues with submission, but I have issues with dying. All right? <laughs> So you can work on your issues, I'll work on mine, all right? That's the two roles that we're called to here. And we represent Christ and the church. And the bond between Christ and the church is unbreakable. It is a permanent covenant. So the bond between a husband and wife is permanent. And that is why divorce is so tragic, because it is presenting a distorted picture of Christ and the church. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless.
when you talk about relationships, it always happens. You have people in here who are dating, engaged, married, and they're struggling in their relationships, and, this, and just bringing up this issue just makes them go, ah, oh, you're bringing it up. Why do you have to talk about this? And it, and it brings up a lot of pain, and then you think, I need to work on this. And, but if you're not careful, you will think that the only thing we need to work on is our dating relationship or our marriage relationship, but the reality is you need to work on your relationship with the Lord. That needs to be the primary relationship that you get right first. It, it, really, it really does. A lot of the breakdowns in relationship are first this breakdown here between you and the Lord. It's between you and the Lord. We have to be walking with the Lord. And when I'm talking about walking with the Lord, I'm not just talking about have, have a good quiet time. Have some good time in prayer in the Word. I'm going to commend that. You keep having a good quiet time. When I'm talking about walking with the Lord, I'm not necessarily just talking about that. I'm talking about this. Start dealing with issues in your life. Start dealing with issues in your life. Start uncovering what's going on in your heart. Because if you don't, any type of marital counseling or relationship counseling is all going to be about tips and tricks. Let me give you a little tip for your marriage. Here, try this little trick. Tips and tricks is not what you need. You need a heart overhaul. And we think this is so important in our church for every single person here, married, unmarried people, not seeking relationships at all, is, is that we're going to interject this into our ethos communities this week where we're going to start dealing with issues in your own heart. So if you don't want to deal with issues, you might want to skip this week. Don't skip. Get there. Deal with stuff. It talks about idols. We all have idols that we worship. And the concept is displacing idols and replacing them with the love and grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's what we're going to talk about this whole week. And for those of you who are not in ethos communities, you know what I've done? There is this home study portion of the book that maybe you have not done. You've not done your homework yet. That's in the book. That's fine, but please do it. My brothers and sisters, when I put a book up on this screen and I recommend you read it, I know about five to ten of you are going to read it, okay? I'm not putting a book up. I'm not asking you to read a book. I'm asking you to read something that is seven pages long, front and back. Okay, 14, all right? It's in your homework. If you don't have that, fine. It's out on the information table. I would love every single person here to go pick it up because it's talking about how we start to deal with issues in our life, how we start to displace idols and get the gospel of Jesus enthroned. We're dealing with issues of fear in our marriage or in our relationships or even personally, issues of worthlessness, issues of temptation, issues of anger. Oh, anger really shows up in relationships. We want to displace these idols, replace them with the gospel. I'm telling you, what I've read in these, these seven fourteen pages here, I'm telling you, it's changing me. It's changing me. And you don't have to go buy the book. Just read it. It's out there. Pick it up. I want everyone to pick it up if you don't already have that book. Check it out because we have to first get our relationship right with the Lord before we start interacting with each other. But that doesn't mean that there's never a time for help in your relationships. There are times where you need someone else to speak into your life and give you help in your relationships. And our church has been set up in such a way by God's grace that we're here to help you in your relationships. So if you find out that you 
need some more encouragement and help in your relationships, we got you covered. In two weeks from now, uh, Associate Pastor John uh, and his wife, Layla, are going to be putting on uh, some type of marriage seminar that's going to be based upon the book that I've been plugging all summer, What Did You Expect? And the, the seminar is going to be called, uh, like, After the Honeymoon. Like, what's life really being married? And it's hard. And there's only 12 slots open for that. So for those of you who are married, jump in there, get that. And just because you go to that doesn't mean you have a messed up marriage. You don't have to have a messed up marriage to read marriage books and to grow in marriage, right? You can have a healthy marriage and still jump in. So wherever you're at, jump in that. 12 slots are open. I would encourage you to jump in. But for those of you who need some more personal one-on-one counseling and mentoring, we offer that here in your marriage. If you're struggling, come see me. Come see Pastor John. We'll give you some personal counseling here. But for those of you who are not married and you're just engaged, we actually have engagement, pre, you know, pre-marriage counseling in our church. So if you're engaged, you're heading toward marriage, come see us. We want to walk you through some things. But here's something that I would say, no other churches offer this, but I know they do. But this is pretty good. For those of you who are just dating and you're thinking, well, whatever you do, court, I don't know what you're doing these days, dating, courting, whatever the right terminology is, whatever you're doing. And if you're heading toward marriage, we actually offer pre-engagement mentoring. Because sometimes once you get, to, you get engaged, you're not going to listen to anything we say. You're just so in love and you want to get married. We'll try to give you some tips to, to get you in the right direction, but like, ah, whatever. But pre-engagement. So if you're in a dating relationship, you're thinking about marriage, we have some serious questions we'd like to run you through and offer you some mentoring. And I just want to tell you, that the pre-engagement, the pre-marriage uh, counseling and the marriage counseling is moving beyond mere tips and tricks, right? We're going to give you some of the helpful things, but it's, it's going to be mainly centered on Jesus Christ and a relationship with the Lord because there is a connection. There is a connection with one another. Our connection of our relationship with one another is always tied closely with our relationship with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who have entered marriage and they feel trapped. They feel like they are just, there's just no way out. I just ask you give them hope, that you give them grace, that you show them that you love them, you've not abandoned them, and that you give them a hope in a future. For those who are heading toward marriage and they don't have everything figured out and it's hard, it's hard dating in this world. It's hard courting in this world. And I just ask, Lord, that you would show us that you're sovereign, you're in control, you offer much grace. And even when relationships break up and, and go the different direction, help us to realize you're still in control. You're still sovereign. May you guide and direct these relationships. And for those of in here who are suffering at times through a, a brutal divorce or things that have just really hurt them in the past or they see some things, the mistakes they've made or others have made, I just ask you to offer much grace, much healing, much restoration. God, you've not abandoned them. It's not like they're now secondhand Christians or secondhand children of yours. You still love them and care for them as much as anyone else. 
And we ask that you would just be with us continually today as we, as we move through the time of, of just remembering your death for us, as some time of praying for one another, that you would move in this place and keep your rightful place in our hearts and throne there. And may you kick out idols, may you displace them, and may you replace them and be exalted in our lives right now as we move closer and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.